Yeah, um, Ryan, there's one thing I'm really grateful for is um, while your choir has kind of cried out for uh, the veil to be let down, that uh, God didn't bank on any of us to come through with that letting of the veil down. Instead, he kind of grabbed it from the very top and split it from the top to the bottom and said, we welcome you one and all to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so the Lord just said, if uh, my presence is here, it's available, it is guaranteed, it is the greatest desire of my soul to welcome you into who I am and what I long for for you, Um, come to the cross and come to the place of resurrection, welcome. The veil has been let down. Thank you, Jesus. And so um, in case there was any mystery about that, uh, God's taking care of it. And we revel in that. And so I welcome you to worship today. It's a, it's going to be a really beautiful and neat day. I want to teach just a little bit from the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. And if you'll, if you'll allow me, I, I want to venture on territory that we um, walked on last weekend. And uh, I had just an encounter after the service and more importantly, just the whispering of the Holy Spirit that he still has some things for us to ponder in verses six through nine. And so we'll stay here and ponder. And uh, we want to teach for a bit and worship for a bit. And we want to pause and pray for Parkland and um, what what God is doing in the midst of what we can't understand or see right now in a bit as we worship. We want to end our service. And Steve and Eileen, you're here. It's, It's amazing. I was looking for you later in the service. I just popped up and saw your face. And so you guys are radiant, like, um, like you've been with Jesus, and that's beautiful. Steve and Eileen were uh, married yesterday evening. Let that linger for a moment. Yeah, and so um, we're so happy for y'all. And we're going to end the service uh, sending them out uh, as a home church and a sponsor church and a loving church. And so I'm looking forward to that, and I'm just glad to see you for the next little bit as well. And so um, I have this this um, unique weirdness about me. There's a lot of unique weirdness about me. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I was expecting the loudest amen to really come from the front row, Dr. Dan, those who <laughs> raised me. And um, I, I went through a phase where I love these 3D image things, you know, that's been 15 years ago. And I always think when Paul's praying things for people, I always flash back. There's fact one coming up on the screen right now. You can have fun with it. Let me know if you see what's there. Um, if you're pretty savvy at these, you will. If you're not, you just look at it all day. And uh, I, I enjoyed. So what's happening for you right now is there's a 3D image. If you will relax your eyes, look at the center of it, you will see. And if you see it, just let me know what you see. And so... Um, Thank you. It's it's a picture of me, was said from the front row, which is fundamentally not true. And so that would be so awesome if I had prepared a 3D image of myself, <laughs> demonstrating my skill level. Um, but I did not. And so um, I'll let it linger there for a minute. I I love these. Um, if if you uh, if you see this and the preacher's preaching this from the pulpit, you'll ultimately see a squirrel. Which I thought of the children's, you know, uh, sermon from the old days when they kept holding the picture of a squirrel and saying, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? And the kid says, I know I'm in Sunday school and I think I'm supposed to say Jesus, but that really looks like a squirrel. You know, that's kind of my moment right now is what I think Paul is kind of 
pray for his church in these really obscure things. And I, I have stood right here this morning and I saw the squirrel. It was pretty awesome. It takes about 30 seconds for me to just see that. Anyone at all? No. Over. It's probably the angle for you or you're just not good at this. And so, um, I, I think what Paul is, pr- I don't think what Paul is praying for us, kind of my thesis of last week was this. When, We choose to no longer be invisible. We become three-dimensional for the sake of the glory of God. And I don't want this to be like some cheesy illustration. I really want it to be something that sinks into our soul. It's when we begin as pursuers of the heart of God to see this what is often an invisible God to us. When He becomes visible to us, there becomes a passionate heart of our passionate desire of our soul to make him known and the thesis sentence I shared last week is this the invisible presence of God becomes radically visible to those around us when we are a people who are saying God show us yourself show us who you are we 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 would love to have seen a squirrel but maybe more passionately we want to see you and, and maybe the choir has already led us in the heart cry that I have for this morning through this scripture, which is that the Lord would let the veil down. Not, not in this hour gathering, although he could and likely will for some of us, but in the walk of our life that we would see God as, as Paul prays, that you would look and see this God that so many struggle to see that you would see him and that he would, in opening the eyes of your heart, provide you with a wisdom about himself. And more importantly, the critical word is not that you gain a comprehension of him. It's more beautiful than that. When Paul prays for us in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, he prays for the people to gain a heart of wisdom and revelation. That's a much more prolific word. It's a much more dimensional word of God that we, that we gain not something that we could have intellectually grabbed by our study, but we gain something that is revealed to us by His Spirit. And so the Lord is just stepping into our lives and saying, I want you to be about this dimensional wonder of who I am, and I want people to look at your life. And, and, and here's, here is my prayer for us, and I would like to pray. And then read the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. My prayer for us is this, that people would look at us and just keep squinting. They kind of look at us and keep saying, there's something about your life that is nonsensical to me. There's something about who you are, and I'm quizzical about this, and I keep looking at your life, and perhaps at some moment in time, what has been there within you the entirety of your walk becomes visible to those around you. And you're able all the way through that journey to speak of the wonders, of the mystery, of the revelation of God. And at one point in time, they say, I see this. And I have been seeing this in you the entirety of my journey. But wow, is it real? And it's not a squirrel. There's this dimension of your life, as Colossians says in the first chapter, the 27th verse, that is... There is a hope in you, and there is a hope about you. And here's what he says in Colossians 1.26 leading up to it. The prophets have spoken about it. Intellectually, we have understood it. But we are seeing Christ in you, and there is a hope of glory about you. And it's become visible to us. 
And we long for that. I believe in the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, that's what Paul is praying for for his church. And so I would like to pray that for us, and I will do that in this way. Holy Spirit, your word is truth. God, it is given to us to sharpen our hearts, to sharpen our vision for the hope of revelation. God, it is given to correct us. It is given to reprove us. It is given to sharpen us into the image of Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that your word will bear fruit this morning. I pray that there will be a wisdom of the Holy Spirit that will far exceed any simplistic intellect of a pastor. God, I pray that your word will do what it does, will be alive to us, will teach us and train us, will sharpen us for the sake of your glory and the hope of your name. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will conform us, transform us in the image of Jesus as you renew our minds and our hearts in the truth of your word. So God, we are asking for your revelation and we hope in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Walter Wink made a statement that I've read multitudes of time in the realm of prayer. And I believe Paul fulfills that in the fourth chapter of the of the book of Philippians, the letter to the church at Philippi. I want to read verses 6 through 9 and just precede that with this. Walter Wink said, um, history belongs to the intercessors. And Paul begins as he speaks about where he longs for the church to go in unity, through righteousness, for the sake of the kingdom. He just speaks to them about this, this three-dimensional, this unseen peace about them. And he says to them, You historic makers, you don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And there will be a peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell there. You should dwell on these things. And then this is the part that I just didn't sense that we had gained traction last week. When you dwell there, you will do what you have learned and received and heard from me. And what you have seen in me, thus my cheesy three-dimensional image. You will, as you are intercessors seeking the face of God, you will practice and live out what you have seen in me, what you have watched me live for, what you have seen me do, what I have learned, what I have taught, and the God of peace will be with you. And so interestingly, in just a series of a few verses, he prays for us in the most trying of situations to seek the peace of God. And then he ends with, as you walk about in this reality of the passion and the heart of God, you will have the peace of God. Pray about it, do it, gain. And there will be something mystical and mysterious and revelatory to the people around you about the power of who God is. Walter Wink says in his writings of the study of prayer in the book of Revelation, he says, look, I want you to understand the power of what Paul is saying to the church when he says, I am seeking that you gain peace. And for you to do that, I want you to be a a people of prayer, 
I want you to be a people of intercession. I want you to be a people who pour out their hearts before the living God. And in all of those ways, I want you to give thanks. And, and Walter Wink says, as you look into the in Revelation, I believe it's the 8th chapter, there's this account and rendering of the power of prayer as all of heaven, all of this raucous worship around the throne room of the King of Glory comes to a halt as the prayer of the people of God is raised to Him and lifted to Him as this holy and glorious incense. I mean, have you pondered that this way, that Paul begins to speak to the church and he says, I want you to bring every facet of God alive to the people around you. And he doesn't begin in the go and do, he begins into the rest and be. History belongs to the intercessors, those who understand that as we as a people who were charged last week with circling this place, with fasting over this place, with praying over our families, with longing for the heart of God, with mobilizing for Him, we have actually practiced that this week because we believe that God moves in the heart of a people who pray and we believe that He guides us in that way and it has charged our lives and we have just come to the grips and an understanding that our prayer halts heaven. That's powerful. And we just come saying, Lord, we pray that you would teach us this. Scripture tells us it is Christ who died, who was raised, and who is seated at the right hand of the Father. We often, in fact, most of the times that I've heard that scripture, we pause there. It is Christ who died for us who was raised, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. We don't finish the verse. The thought and truth of Scripture carries on and says, and He is interceding for His people right now. The ministry that we are aware of and that we have studied is a ministry of three years. It was a teaching and living and breathing ministry. There is a 2,000 year of intercessory ministry of Jesus Christ on our behalf. History belongs to the intercessors. Right now, as you sit in this room, Jesus is turning to the Father and praying for you and for me. I find that to be beyond my imagination. And I find that I grasp this as true, as revealed by the Scripture itself. And it moves me to be a person of prayer. And to say, Lord, I want to join with Jesus When Peter, James, and John went with Jesus, it was like they were looking at the screen for most of us in the room. They went with Jesus to a place of prayer, and all of a sudden as they're praying with Him, He gathers this light about Him. He gathers this power about Him, and they're looking dimensional, and most of them are like us sitting in this room. Do you see it? Not one person said, I see it. They started to see this thing, and here's what came out of that. They're gathered together. They have watched Jesus pray. They've watched Him flesh out this powerful reality of the kingdom of God, and they reached a conclusion that it would be a powerful conclusion for us in this room if we believe truly that history is made by the intercessors they said a very simple request to Jesus they said would you teach us to pray 
He did a lot of powerful things. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He fed thousands. And, and they didn't say teach us to feed thousands. They just looked at him and they said there is a source that is revelatory, that is beyond yourself, and you have gained a unity in your walk with the Father as you, as Philippians 2 says to us, laid down the privileges and yet walk in unity with Him as the fullness of the Father on this earth through prayer and uniting your heart. So what the Father does, the Son does. Also, you say, Lord, we want that intimacy with you and we want that intimacy with the Father. And so, Lord, would you do this? Would you teach us to pray? Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and petition. Let your request be made known to God. Petition Him and pray to Him with thanksgiving. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will come and guard the heart of this room. It will guard your personal intimacy with Christ. It it will mobilize you. And it will give you ample territory in which to run. Story is told, if you would like to read this, you can write this in your notes. I'm going to put some of the verses on the screen and just share the story in Genesis 28th chapter, just again illustrating the power of prayer. You have no idea how you are strengthened as you pray. The Old Testament story of Jacob is a profound moment as the invisible God becomes powerfully visible. Could I just park for your few moments on this truth that history belongs to the intercessors. To the people who pray and who seek God's face. Jacob was not a favorite. His brother was preferred over him. He was a mom's boy and he was deceitful. That's basically what you know of Jacob. And at one point he's running from Esau. And in verse 11 of chapter 28, it just says these words that Jacob pulled up in the midst of his running. And I find an interesting verse in verse 11. It just has this little sub subtext. This is where he landed. He landed at a certain place. Translated well, this is a really great rendering for you. You should enjoy this. This is a deep word study. This is no place in particular. He's just running right now. This is no place that's special. He just landed in a spot. This is where he's in. He's not even in Holiday Inn Express. He's just landed in this spot, rolled out a a mat, and just laid his head down and said, Here we are, Lord. Jacob had done nothing to merit what was about to happen to him. He had a dream that night. He saw a ladder. You'll sing the song from your childhood days if you're familiar with that. With its top reaching to the heavens and the angels of God ascending and descending. And God said to him in verse 28, verses 13 and 15, I'm the Lord. I'm the God of your father Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And here's what I would say to you. I'm with you. Wherever you go, and I want you to know as you run in the midst of this uncertain place, a place in the middle of nowhere, a place that has no value in your mind, I'm present and I'm here. And I want you to understand who I am. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, listen to what he said in verse 16. Surely the Lord is in this place. I'm going to read this translation. I have one that I like a little better. I did not know it. I like this translation. I was not aware of it. I am staring at a three-dimensional image and I'm only seeing a single dimension. But God in His revelation is stepping into my life and He is making me aware of more than I have known in this moment. History belongs 
to the intercessors who say to the Lord, we want to see you. We want to see with eyes of wisdom and revelation. We are a people who are humble for you. You, Lord, are surely around us and we didn't know it. God draws us to this place. It's a place of limitless exploration. That's what he says in Philippians 4.8. If you want to run in the pastures of the Lord, run toward what is right and true. Run toward what is noble and honest. Run toward what is filled with integrity. Fill your life with these things and dwell there. You will discover the manifold wisdom of the living God as you pray and then you pursue purity and justice and rightness and holiness. The Lord didn't leave Jacob and he doesn't leave us with this mystical reality. He says, you want to experience this? Trod, dwell, run in the fields of this place of extraordinary God-centered beauty and wonder. Paul wrote to us in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 14, wake up, sleeper, rise up from the dead. And Christ will shine his heart on you. What strikes me about Jacob's words is their proximity to our own. I live in this place of the mighty works of God. And I don't know that I always see him for who he is and what he has done. Jacob did. And listen to what a place of no magnitude became. Scripture says he called this place now Bethel. This is the house of God. This is where God is very present. This was formerly a meaningless place. It was a certain place, a spot on the side of the road, but it has been filled with the reality of the presence of the living God. As we read passages like this, don't worry about anything. But in all ways, with your prayer and your heart, with your petition, let your request be made known to God. As we studied prayer last week, let God through your worship-filled conversations where you just come to Him and you adore Him for who He is. That's prayer. And let Him with the burdens and the joy and the passion of your heart as He captures your heart in worship and moves your heart to His people. Intercede for that. Pursue that. And pursue it as your heart is one with God. And as you see God move, pause and lift up a heart of thanksgiving before Him. This is what Paul is teaching us. And he just says, and there will be moments where you thought you were in a place of meaninglessness. I have I have no doubt as I speak into this room of the issues and situations and struggles and circumstances that we would feel like we walked into this room and we would call it a place of meaninglessness when we came in. And I am praying not solely for this hour, but for the every moment of every hour, the reality and the truth that we would move from a meaningless sense of purpose to a reality that we are a people of Bethel and that God is in this place. Not your location, but the power of his presence. A place that is inhabited with God himself. That you and I, as verse 8 said, could dwell there. I taught on this last week, so I'll just give you two sentences that we would dwell on this as an extraordinary discovery. 
in doing so, here's what I would pray for us, that we would know Jesus enough to act on his word. Listen, hear that, and I'm not going to dig back into that. We talked about this enough last week, but I'm praying this for us. I am petitioning God on our behalf that we will know Jesus, not know some fundamentals, not know a playbook, that we would know an intimacy with Jesus Christ enough to act on his word, and not just the knowledge of him. But The second thing I'm praying for us today, as we walk through and read and the Holy Spirit just moves in the truth of his scripture, that we would not know him enough solely but that we would trust him enough. That we would trust him enough to take steps of action on his word. He says this, do what you have learned and received and heard from me. What you have seen in me and there will be the peace that surpasses understanding that has guarded your heart and mind, is guarding your heart and mind and forever will in this place of Bethel. Would you please stop trying to do the great glorious works of God in your own strength? And would you submit humbly to God? Would you pursue Him in prayer and petition and thanksgiving? Would you, would you die to yourself so that you come alive to the things of God so that His revelation could work itself out in you so that then you can move about in the spirit of Bethel and the spirit of the power of the presence of the living God? Otherwise, you will fundamentally burn to the ground or you'll stare at a dimensional image wishing to see a squirrel. And the Lord says, let's run together. If you walked in and sensed there was a meaningless about it, may you have the wonder of seeing Christ right now. The hope that he has in his scripture. Being surrounded by some people who are doing just this. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Paul was a living example. He was powerful in saying this. And I believe that the maturity that we want as believers is to be able to... Um, I would say this. I would, I would pray right now for us that the ninth verse would become a memory verse for us in this church. And then we would become a mature people to be able to say to every person around us, I have memorized this because it's the prayer of my heart. I would invite you to do what you have learned and received and heard from me. I would invite you to run in the paths of the namesake of Christ because you have seen this in me. I would invite you to experience the peace of the living God because you have experienced this peace that is transcendent to you, but it is found in him. And I just want to introduce you to Jesus who is very near. And he has captured my soul. I would like for you not to read verse 9 as a verse of study. I would like for you to read it as a verse of heart passion. A friend of mine was sitting with me this week. I'm closing with two statements of friends this week. He said, I fear Mark. His name is Bob. We were just processing the kingdom, processing this church. He said, I I fear for the church as I sit with many, many church leaders and I sit with many People like, I'm kind of a pastor type, you're kind of the church member type. He said, I fear in all my conversations with all that we believe and have interpreted teaching as leading. Teaching is not leading. Paul emphasizes this in the ninth verse. I want you to come and be. I want you to do and be and live and breathe what you've seen in me. He said, the greatest mistake that we have made is, is, is that we have actually come to believe if we will sit under one more study. 
have one more piece of arrogant knowledge for ourselves as we become more pharisaical that we are actually leading. And he said, look, I want you to understand leading is leading. Doing the works of Christ with the glory of Christ at the center of who we are. That's what Paul is teaching us in this text as leadership for the sake of the kingdom. Does that, um, does that diminish the need for study in any manner? Heaven forbid. He just, he, he just told us that in the verse prior. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, do these things. Lead in a manner where they are a part of who you are. I, I have a friend in the room, and he shared with me at the end of the service, and I haven't asked his permission, so I won't share his name, but he shared with me a sentence that has left me undone, and I would like to say it's for this week, but I think it's for quite a while. He shared of his journey of discipleship with his own father as he walked with him into a faith journey with Christ over multitudes of years, and his encouragement to me was very simple. Um, as you are preaching and teaching this, do not give up. Don't lose heart. And he turned the story of just a 40-year journey that culminated in his father in his last days coming to know Christ. But then there was a sentence that he shared that just, um, I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm undone right now. And, uh, and I, I, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will graft this into my heart. So I'm just wrestling with it. So I'm, I'm throwing it out to you as you wrestle with it. This guy's got it down. If he gives me permission, then I'll let you know who he is so you can talk to him. His brother just um, was wrestling with the faith for a long period of time. And here's what he said to me last week. His brother said to him, I'm going to move in with you to see if Jesus is real. I feel like I felt last week when I read, this is such a rich Holy Spirit moment for me. I believe this is the essence of what Paul is praying for the church at Philippi. I want to move in with you because I am wanting and hoping that Jesus is real. And I have glimpsed at the dimensions of Him and I have caught small pictures of Him But would you mind if I came and lived with you? This isn't a metaphor or a sermon illustration. This is a guy in this room right now whose brother lived with him for 19 months, watched to see if Jesus was real, went home to the Pacific Northwest, went to church the next Sunday, and came to know Christ in a radical manner, and is now fleshing out Jesus to the other brother. I was talking to our staff about this Tuesday, and I said, do we understand... So I'm asking you as a church right now, do you understand the stewardship? And there may be some guests in the room right now, and we are so happy you're here. Do you understand the stewardship that people walk in and out of this room every single week asking that question? We wonder in greater Jacksonville, is Jesus real? And the answer they get and they walk in the room is this. I'm not finishing that sentence. I wonder if they gain as they sit in the midst of us. I wonder if we could ask a guest today, you know, you're here for the first time. Would you walk out saying, you guys have shown me the image of the cross? I mean, it, it took 18, 19 months of walking day in and day out. I'm not fully expecting. I'm just wondering if they would have picked up a nugget and said, it is clear that there is a passion about you that sets you apart. You are walking, and you what you what you you did for me 
is you invited me to come and, and this is what this guy fulfilled. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. And so I'm just, I'm praying that we could say to many around us, are you asking this? Here's what you could do. I mean, co-worker. I know it's early, but if you, just, if you just come and sit with me in my group, I think that you would see the questions that we've been asking. If you could sit in a, with us, I think you would see Jesus is real. Wow, a sweeping burden has hit my soul. To the neighborhood. Do you want to grill tonight? These sideline conversations we've been having, I'll just cook and we'll talk. So I I just will end with this. I'm praying these things for us and I will try to read them. That we will incessantly pursue the heart of God. That we will, in doing so, develop a love relationship with Christ that is very real and very personal, every one of us. That we will hold out our faith in what God is doing in this faith family is of highest regard. It will be the depths of our soul and we will pray and petition for that. And I am praying that we will make the invisible visible, very real, extraordinary alive and beautiful. That we will, and this is my closing sentence, Guide people from a certain place. It's available on the screen, I believe. A meaningless place at this moment to a place that is inhabited by the presence of the living God. That's my prayer. And in praying that, I would like to just worship for a bit. Would you join with me? Jesus, uh, we, we really just want to come before you in singing and in worship. We really want to have an altar, Lord, where we can come and unburden. And I personally will enjoy that before you as we sing for a bit this morning. God, we, we want to bring every dimension of who you are alive, and yet we know we can't because with our limited sight, we will see you for who we are and then raise our eyes again and see more. But God, I pray that we will taste and see that you're good. So Jesus, we're going we're gonna to respond to you in song. But I pray that we'll respond to you with more than that. I pray that some of us will reach into our chest and we will respond to you with our heart. We will reach into the core of who we are and respond with our soul. That we will intellectually assent to your beauty and wonder and respond to you with our mind. And God, as people who limp as a people who have walked with you, we will respond to you with our strength. And so some of our pastors will be here as we sing a song or two or three. As we just worship the Lord our God, our maker, this altar is open. If you would like to come and seek the face of the Lord, our pastors are here to pray. And we just really want to have a holy moment or two or three before God. 
Would you stand with me? Would you worship with me? Would you allow this room to be sacred space? As we simply tell Jesus that he is beautiful.